Good morning, everyone. It's great to have you here today. My name is John Nicholas, lead pastor here at CCC, and I want to say a special Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to all the dads who are here. Great to have you here with us and uh, for spending part of your Sunday, your day with us, and we want to honor you and thank you for being here. Uh, this morning, we're going to be in a new series, our summer series, and our summer series is entitled, This We Believe. I, by nature, am a pretty trusting person, and as a kid growing up, uh, my parents told me the things that I should believe, and um, I generally took what they said at face value, because in my home, growing up in a pretty conservative uh, Christian home, uh, questions weren't welcomed, and uh, when if you would ask questions, you were basically told, no, this is what we believe, and fear was used to keep you believing those same things. Um, you were led to believe that if you did not believe those things, that you were on a fast, dangerous slide to hell and, and a lifestyle of pain and torment and suffering. And so growing up, I went to a Christian school, private school, so I was around people that believed the same thing I did, and so I didn't have any reason to question those beliefs. Um, as I got a little bit older into high school, I uh, started working, and as I worked with people who didn't believe the same things I believed, I came to discover they weren't criminals. And, um, you know, they, uh, they actually questioned, they had some different beliefs than I did, and uh, they were actually not bad people, some of them were actually good people, and this was confusing to me, because that's not what I was led to believe. So I went away to college, and in college I was taught to wrestle with and understand why I believe, so the foundation, what was underneath of my beliefs, and so I began to understand those a little bit more. But I never questioned my beliefs. It wasn't until I actually got into grad school and I worked in a kitchen and I had a manager by the name of Robert Bogdan. And Robert was a very good manager. He was extremely skilled at what he did. Uh, he was a, a fantastic baker, trained in one of the best schools in the country. Um, and he also was well-versed in his theology and his faith, which was different than mine. But Robert, unlike most people in my world, they would listen to what I had to say, nod their heads and either agree or say, that's interesting. Robert questioned me. He questioned my faith. He challenged my beliefs. He didn't accept my pat answers. And he left me walking away wondering, did I really believe what I said I believed? And was it really true? And for the first time in my life, I found myself wrestling with my beliefs. Wrestling with I had assumed all of my life to be true. At some point in our lives, all of us have to wrestle with what we believe. We all believe something. You're like, well, I don't know if I believe. Well, we do. We all believe something because our actions, the things that we do in life, flow out of our beliefs. And what you believe about relationships shows up in the way you relate. What you believe about finances shows up in the way you spend your money. What you believe about God shows up in how you navigate life when things get really hard. And so beliefs always drive our actions. And this summer we're going to focus on our beliefs, our beliefs what we believe. And we're going to do that by looking at an ancient creed called the Apostles' Creed. Um, it's one of a number of creeds, but it's the, the oldest one. And we're going to look at most of the lines throughout that creed throughout this summer. Because the truth is, at some point in your faith journey, you have to decide what you believe. What you believe. One of the things we hope will happen for our students and young adults is that their faith will become their own. The faith that mom and dad had, that mom and dad passed along to them, that they kind of adopted, would now be owned by them. And it's our hope and prayer that that will be part of this journey for you this summer. So the Apostle Creed, as I mentioned, is one of the oldest creeds. So what's the value in a creed? Well, one of the value in a creed is it brings clarity. Creeds provide these short statements that have a lot of substance in them. 
And that's what we're going to be looking at throughout this summer. They also create for us a sense of community. They give us a common belief, things that we're all united around, things that we commit to. They provide guardrails in our lives as we navigate through life itself. And lastly, they're a starting point. They're a place to begin. And maybe for you to explore some of the deepest truths, deepest, deepest truths about God that maybe you've never wrestled with before. As you do that, some of the benefits that you're going to discover is it's going to deepen your spiritual roots. It's going to allow you to take these things that maybe you've heard for a long time, you've thought about, you've wondered about, and ask yourself this question, is this really true? And can it give direction for my life? The other thing that it's going to do is it has the potential to increase your love for God. You see, for most people, the idea of doctrine and beliefs is a lot like high school calculus. You know, high school calculus is one of those things that most people have to take some level, but the majority do not understand, barely survive. A few do, and the rest of the group wonders, what does this have to do with my life for as long as I live? Isn't that true about high school calculus? Most of you are saying yes, except the people that love math. Um, so, or that never had to take it, like myself. Uh, somehow avoided it. But people think that way about doctrine and belief. There's a few people that understand it, the people that do this for a living, like John and others, everybody dabbles in it at some point along the way, but I have no idea how this connects to the rest of my life. I really don't. And so our hope this summer is that if we look at the truth of God's Word, as we wrestle with them, as we look at what God has to say, that it won't just be information for you to add to your information catalog about life, but that it will be used to something to connect to your life and to transform a part of your life that God wants to walk into and change this summer. And so this morning we're going to begin with these simple words, I believe, I believe. And we're going to talk about this subject of belief. Let's talk about this subject of belief. To believe is to have confidence, to view as reliable, to accept something as true. The problem is in our culture today, when you say to someone, this is what I believe, what does someone often say to you? When you say, this is what I believe, they often say to you, well, that's your what? Opinion. That's your opinion. So what's the difference between a belief and an opinion? Well, belief is viewed as reliable, accepted as true, something you have confidence in. Opinion is a view or judgment formed about something not necessarily based on fact or knowledge. So I could say to you, I believe that because my football team that I cheer for, the Washington Redskins, got a new quarterback this year, and they've got the, a number of new defensive starters under the age of 25, that they're going to beat the Eagles a couple times this coming year. I could say that. Um, and, and most of you would laugh at me, especially the Eagles fans, right? You would laugh at me. Why? Is that based on any facts? No. It's based on my opinion that I'm just cheering for my team. And so my hope this summer is as we wrestle with these beliefs, as we look at it and talk about it, it'll move from just an opinion that you hold very loosely to a belief that you grip tightly on that's a solid foundation for your faith and for your life. But that journey from opinion to belief, it's a little fragile. And in that journey, there's a few things we're going to have to navigate. First of all, sometimes these beliefs, as we're forming them, they can be a little fickle. So what do you mean they can be a little fickle? Because it doesn't take a whole lot to change them. You might walk in next Sunday and have a cup of coffee and say, John, you've got to taste this cup of coffee. It's, it's an amazing cup of coffee. You know, these beans, they came from Hawaii, from Kona, and, and you've got to taste this cup of coffee. And I take that cup of coffee and I say, wow, that's a really good cup of coffee. I think that might be the best cup of coffee I've ever had. 
And then you show up the next week and you say, John, you've got to try this cup of coffee. These beans came from South America and there's this animal that eats them and poops them out and they clean the beans up and then they, they grind them up and it's the best cup of coffee I have. And I, I taste that cup of coffee and wow, that's even better than the previous week. All it did was you come in and give me another option and I did what? I changed my mind. And so this journey from opinion to belief is going to, take some, it's going to be a process for you to own that. But it can be a little fickle in the, in the process. There's another thing about beliefs. Our, our beliefs can have a level of bias associated with them. You see, all of us enter life, all of encounter life through a set of filters. That's how we see life, through this set of filters that are formed when we're very young. And as much as we want to believe that we're logical and factual and rational, our quest through truth goes through a set of filters. And we're going to talk about those as we try to get clarity about these things that we believe. And the last thing is they need testing under pressure. They need testing under pressure. I had the opportunity this past weekend to be involved in a vow renewal with a couple in our church. Uh, and it was a really meaningful time. And there's something very different about standing with a couple who's about to get married, who've never been married before, and they profess their love to each other, and their eyes are kind of glazed over and kind of sparkly, and you know, life just looks like this grand fairy tale that will just, they'll just float off into the sunset. Versus a couple that has been through the ups and downs of life. They've been through the richer poor. They've been through sickness and in health. They've been through I don't really want to be around you or I'm going to walk out this door. I can't even stand to be in your presence too. Can we somehow find a way to work this out? That's a different kind of love. They're both love. It's a different kind of love. One kind of love has been tested. There's been pressure and there's something that has been formed out of that. And the same needs to happen with our beliefs. We can form these beliefs, but life will bring a level of pressure on these beliefs that you will have to decide. Is this just an opinion? A nice idea, or is this something I'm holding to no matter what? And so to get us started into that this morning, I want to look at this issue of belief. If you have your Bibles, if you would turn to Mark chapter, um, Mark chapter 9, Mark chapter 9, if you, grab, if you don't have a Bible, there's one in the seat in front of you, it's page 820 on the Bibles in that seat right in front of you, or you can follow along on your phone or just the verses on the screen. The book of Mark is a gospel account, the story account of the life of Jesus, written by a guy by the name of John Mark. And John Mark had a close friend. His name was Peter. And Peter walked with Jesus. Peter went, went with Jesus. He was in that, that tribe Jesus had called the disciples. And so Peter was there day and night. And Peter recounted the events that had happened to his good buddy John Mark. And, John wrote, and Mark wrote these things down in the gospel called Mark. And so in this account, what had just happened with Jesus and his followers is Jesus had taken three guys, Peter, James, and John. Peter was one of them. And they had gone up on this mountain. And when they were up in this mountain, two other guys appeared out of nowhere, Moses and Elijah. Now, I don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah because they didn't have pictures in those days, so they didn't know this was the guy with the snowy hair and the guy with the beard. They didn't know any of those things. They didn't have name tags on. I don't know how they knew it was Moses and Elijah, but they were. And they also saw Jesus in what the Bible calls his transfigured state. Basically what he will look like in heaven and for eternity. They got a glimpse of him in that way. And it was amazing. It was life-changing for them. And Jesus says, you can't say anything. Don't tell anybody. Zip it. It's got to be off limits. 
And so they come off the mountain after this amazing experience. As they're coming down the mountain, they hear a conflict going on down below with the other eight disciples and the religious leaders. And that's where we pick up our story in Mark chapter 9, verse 14. They came to the other disciples. They saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. So there's a conflict. The religious leaders, Jesus' disciples. Not anything new. This happened all the time. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet them. Jesus was like a rock star. I mean, he had been healing people. He had been feeding multitudes with just some little bits of bread and fish. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Everybody wanted to see Jesus, touch Jesus, be near Jesus, because you never knew what was going to happen when Jesus was there. And so as Jesus comes up on this conflict, he says, what's going on? What's going on? What are you arguing about? What are you arguing about? It's a little like a parent who hears noises in the next room. You hear elevated voices, you hear things being thrown, you hear things being bouncing on the wall, you hear someone screaming, you hear someone crying, and what does the mother usually come in and say, what's going on in here? And what is she greeted with? Silence. Silence. And that's what Jesus was greeted with. Silence. The disciples didn't answer. Religious leaders didn't answer. But some guy in the crowd, a dad, pipes up. And he says, teacher, I brought my son here. He's really sick. He's possessed by a spirit. He can't even speak. He says, whatever it is, it seizes him, grabs hold of him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth. He gnashes with his teeth and he becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to help me to drive this spirit out. But they were helpless. They were powerless. They could not do it. Now we know what's going on. Now we get a glimpse of what's happening. You see, the disciples had been commissioned by Jesus. They had been handpicked, and then Jesus gathered them together and said, I'm going to send you out, and I'm going to send you out, and you're going to have this ability to heal the sick and to cast out demons and to take care of people. And that's what the disciples were supposed to do as a way to introduce people to this idea called the kingdom of God, where Jesus would reign as king. And that's the disciples' role. And so I'm not quite sure where in this, but fairly early in this, they, start, they go out, their first attempt kind of on their own, first time without the training wheels, first time without Jesus, and they're supposed to go out and do this. And they failed miserably. A father, likely pretty desperate, comes to them with a son who he describes as being controlled by a spirit. Um, horrific pain and agony and suffering. And the disciples were powerless. It's like they were exposed. They were charlatans. Um, an expose was going to be coming out on them. And there was lots of skepticism. And there was plenty of doubt to go around. Plenty of doubt to go around. The father, he had reason to doubt. He had tried everything. Why not try this? What father wouldn't do whatever he could to help his son? And he had reason to doubt. The teachers of the law, they had reason to doubt. They just wanted to prove Jesus was wrong. And this gave them one more stake in the coffin, to, one more nail in the coffin to say, he's not who he said he was. He can't do those things. They were reinforcing casting doubt. The crowd had reason to doubt. They just wanted a miracle. They wanted to see the power of God. And they were clearly disappointed at that moment in time. What about the disciples? They were just doing what they were told to do. God said, go out. Jesus said, go out and do this. They were doing what they told to do. It didn't work. 
didn't work. How about you? How about me? When you want God to show up and you pray and ask God and he doesn't show up, he doesn't answer your prayer, he doesn't come through. And you've begged God in the past and maybe God's come through in the past and you've seen his great power and you want to see it again just like the disciples. But it's not there. It's not there. And what we're faced with is we're faced with doubt at nearly every actor in this story. And doubt, we're going to see, is an important part of this story. And doubt, I want to suggest to you, is a doorway that can lead us to faith and belief, a doorway that can lead us to faith and belief. But often in our culture, doubt has become the destination that we stand, land on and we stay there instead of just a doorway to get us to a place of faith and belief. Doubt has become cool. Doubt has become okay because if you don't doubt, but you speak with some certainty and confidence about your faith, about what you believe, you will likely be described as being arrogant. Doubt's where you ask questions. Doubt's where you wrestle. Doubt's where you say, I'm not quite sure. That's where doubt is. Well, as Jesus turns and talks to his disciples, look what he says to them. He says, you unbelieving generation. And I believe he's talking to the disciples here. He says, how long? How long? How long? You say, why is he frustrated with the disciples? We're going to see that a little bit later in the story. But he says, bring the boy to me. And as he says, bring the boy to me, as they brought him, look what happened. The spirit saw Jesus threw the body, boy into convulsion. He fell to the ground, roamed around foaming at the mouth. You know, sadly and tragically, what the father said was happening, happened. You know, one of the most frustrating experiences when you have a problem with your car and you take it to the garage and it doesn't replicate it or you're your kid, when you, you're ready to take them to the doctor, is 104 fever, and you get in the doctor, and they stick the thermometer, and it's like 98.6, and you're like, ugh. It's not what happened here. It happened. It happened. Right there in front of everybody. And then Jesus proceeds to have this conversation with the Father. He says, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. You know, it's, it's kind of curious to wonder, why did Jesus ask this question? Because what the Bible says about Jesus that he was God in the flesh. And so would Jesus have known how long this had been happening? What do you think? Yes or no? Yeah, he probably did. But he still asked. I'm not sure if he asked for the benefit of the disciples, for the benefit of the Father. But for some reason he asked because he wants to hear the story and have it told. And he says from childhood. And so I kind of assume, in my mind, I kind of conjure up that maybe this, this little guy is now about 8 or 10 years old. So he's moved past kind of those early stages. And he's into that 8 or 10 year old window. He goes on to describe it. He says, it's often thrown him in the fire or the water to kill him. I'll just pause there for a minute. Because when we think of going into the fire of a fire, we think, oh, it's summertime and let's build a campfire and let's make some s'mores, right? That's what, kind of what we think of the fire, right? But that's not what fire was like in that culture. In that culture, fire was a part of their everyday life. They cooked on an open fire. They, they sometimes would use a fire to heat the house in the cool of the desert evenings. Fire is a part of everyday life for them. 
or, or the water. And we think of the water, especially around here where we live the summertime, kind of going in the pool. And, oh, as a parent, especially with your young kids, you've got to be careful with them around the water, right, when the kids are young and they don't know how to swim yet. But it's only in the summer, it's only occasionally. But water was a part of their everyday life. They had to go fetch water every day down by a, run, a rushing creek. They had to go down to the water to clean their clothes or to bathe. That's what they would do in the water. And so if you can imagine this father... Imagine as a parent when your child runs out in the street and you, you shriek or you scream and you grab them, pull them back, and you say, don't run out in the street, it's dangerous. And Sometimes you've got to say it a time or two to get them to know not to do that, right? But this father said, often thrown him into, he's kind of describing, imagine a child who had no power to control themselves from repeatedly running into the street, repeatedly putting themselves in harm's way, repeatedly putting themselves in life-threatening situations. And this father is day in and day out, week in and week out, 24-7, for years in this kid's life, tried to protect him and take care of him. And for some reason, Jesus wants us to hear that's part of the story. But then notice what the father says. He says, but if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. Is the word if a word of confidence or a word of doubt? Which one? Confidence or doubt? It's doubt. It's doubt. This dad is not sure. This dad's like, I don't know. I don't know. I've heard about you. I've heard people say things. Your disciples, they're, they're your followers. They're supposed to be able to do it. They couldn't come through. He says, but if you can, I'll take whatever you can give me. I'll take it. I'll take it. And as I listen to these words, it, it kind of pictures for me what God invites us into. Because sometimes we have this picture about faith that if I don't believe everything that's here, if I don't believe all of God's Word, if I'm not committed to everything being actually true, that I, it's going to be tough for me to follow God. It's going to be tough for me to be a follower of Jesus. But this Father says, if you can do anything, if there's any remote possibility, I'll take a step and I'll follow where you want me to, to go. I'll take whatever you can give me. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe there's some doubts that you're wrestling with and you're not sure what this following Jesus is all about and your doubts have kept you from saying, I'm going to follow him. And Jesus says, even with your doubts, will you take a step and will you follow me? Jesus picks up on this. Look what he says in the next verse. He says, if you can, if you can, Jesus calls him right out on it. He calls him out, and then he says this, everything is possible for the one who believes. What does Jesus do? Jesus gives him a sense of hope. He gives him a sense of hope that he said, no matter where you're at, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter your uncertainty, it's possible if you believe. And he would almost expect the father to then say, yes, I believe. But look what the father says next. The father says, I do believe. But then he adds this caveat. Help me overcome my disbelief. Help me overcome my doubts. Help me navigate my questions. I do believe. I want to believe. But I'm still wrestling with questions. And I think what God does is he provides us this picture 
to understand that there's a space as we're wrestling with what we believe to step towards belief and to still wrestle with doubts. To step towards belief but still wrestle with doubts. And I think this is very important, especially for the students and young adults to hear that in, this, in the room this morning. Because as you watch your parents, as you watch your grandparents, and you see this, this faith in God, this confidence in God, and yet you're wrestling with your own doubts, your own uncertainty, your own questions. There can be fear in your own heart and uncertainty and, and, and really doubt that will keep you from moving forward because you say, I don't have faith like them. And this guy says, I, I, I want to believe, but I'm still struggling with these doubts. And I want to say to parents, whose students and young adults are wrestling with what they believe, can you give them the space to sit with both of them? Can you give them the space to sit with both of those? Because I don't know about you, I suspect you, like me, I want my kids' faith to become their own. I don't want them just to ride on my coattails because I know when the, when the storms of life come, them riding on my coattails is not going to help them make it through it. Their faith has to become their own. And part of this journey of allowing our kids to let their faith become their own is to be okay with them sitting with the doubts and not trying to change their minds in that moment, but hearing them out, praying for them, and being available to walk with them in this journey. And I'll be the first to confess, as a parent, it's really hard. It's really scary. Because you're not sure which route, which path they're going to take. But in this story, he seems to give him the space for both of them. Because he doesn't rebuke him for his unbelief. He rebukes the disciples for their unbelief. Not this man that's trying to figure out what does believing in this Jesus look like? God doesn't say you have to have a mountain of belief, a mountain of faith. He says, he says just a little bit. Just a little bit. And then what does he do? He goes on in verse 25. When Jesus saw the crowd, he rebuked the impure spirit. You deaf and mute spirit. I command you to come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet. And he stood up. And in Luke's gospel it says he gave him back to his father. Jesus did not need this father have this mountain-sized amount of faith. Jesus needed this father to have a little bit of faith and be honest about his doubts. And then Jesus performed an amazing, amazing miracle. His disciples didn't quite understand what was going on. They couldn't quite figure it out. It says they went back into the room a little bit later and they said privately, Jesus, what happened? We, we messed up. It didn't work. You told us to do this, and then you told us to do this, and you told us, and we did all those, and it didn't work. You're missing a step. Something happened here. Something happened here. And I suspect that Jesus might have taken them back to what he said in verse 23, where he said, everyone who believes can experience something supernatural, something that would seem to be impossible. 
And I think what Jesus wanted his followers to understand is it's not about the process that's going to result in God doing amazing things. It's about the person that you put your faith in. You see, he goes on to say, no, guys, you, you, you forgot about prayer. And what is prayer? Prayer is when I put my complete reliance, my complete dependence on God, and I say, it's not anything on me. It's all on you, God. It's all on you. In Matthew's account of this story, as Jesus ends it, he says this. When his disciples said, why couldn't we drive him out? They says this, because you have so little faith. He said, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to the mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus says, guys, it's not about a system. It's not about a process. It's not about having a mountain-sized amount of faith. It's all about having a little bit of faith in a great big God, and something amazing is going to happen. A little bit of faith in a great big Savior is going to go a long, long way. And as we enter this journey over these next eight weeks to look at these beliefs, my hope is that you recognize that God is okay with your questions. God's big enough to handle them. God's okay with your doubts. God's okay with your uncertainty. Because He believes, and I believe, that our doubts can be a doorway, not a destination where we stop and we stay there, but a doorway that leads us to a rock-solid faith on the one who never changes. And so my hope and prayer for you is that you will wrestle with your doubts. You'll be honest with your doubts. You'll bring those doubts to your parents, and hopefully they'll safely hold those. You'll bring those to a small group leader, to a trusted friend, to a pastor. And you'll say, can you help me? I want to believe, but I've got these doubts. But even bigger than that today, my hope and prayer for you today is that whatever that thing is in your life, that God's maybe tapped you on the shoulder and said, can you trust me on this thing? You don't need a lot of faith. You just need a little bit of faith. And if you have a little bit of faith and you can put a little bit of faith in me, then there's just the possibility that God's going to do something amazing, something remarkable that's going to deepen your faith as you face the doubts in your life. A little faith in a big Savior can take you a long, long way. As we go on this journey this, this summer, I want to provide some resources for you that can help along that way. Uh, one of the resources that we provide is uh, called Right Now Media. On the table at where the programs were in the back, there's these little cards. I want to encourage you to grab one if you don't have one. If you want to read a little bit more, if you want to watch some videos of some amazing Bible teachers that will answer the questions you're wrestling with, I want to encourage you to grab one of those and take them with you. You can watch them on your phone. You can watch them on your computer. Um, And I want to encourage you to bring those honest questions in wrestling. But as we go to prayer this this afternoon as we close, I want to ask you that question. What is it that God's saying to you? Will you put a little bit of faith in a big, great big Savior who wants to do something amazing in your life? Will you bow your heads with me as we close? And as we do, you you may or may not have a child with a life-threatening illness as this man did. But God maybe has brought something into your life this week. And um, you're struggling to see how God's big enough to do something about it. Maybe he's just saying, 
Can you bring that to me? I know you're not sure. I know you're uncertain. Can you just bring what amount of faith you have and offer it to me? Maybe you've got something in your life that it's, it's a big deal and you've been bringing it to God over and over. And um, the more you bring it to God, it feels like the smaller your faith gets and the bigger your doubts are. And, and I've got to believe this father was pretty fresh out of faith with a lot of doubts. And he said, if you can. And so maybe God is saying to you, can you bring this to me? And just say, if you can. God, you're inviting us, each of one of us, to take a step towards you, to take a step of faith, to take a step in which, if we're really honest, there's still question marks and doubts. But God, as we do that, we give you the opportunity as a great big Savior to do something amazing, supernatural, and remarkable. And God, that's the beginning of a journey towards belief. God, help us to take that step, whatever it looks like in our lives today. In your name we pray.